Heavenly Father, we are conscious that you are near and all your commands are true. Oh Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit so that we are conscious of your presence, that we are conscious even more so that your commands are true. And so Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith by your spirit as we look at your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we've been examining uh, 1 Samuel for some time now, and we've taken a break at different periods, and we've been now looking at the rise of King David. Uh, Samuel is a book that is basically about how the monarchy started for the Israelites, how they first had a king. Uh, Prior to that, they had the leadership of people like Moses as he brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery to Pharaoh. And then, of course, as they were in the land, they were under the leadership of people like Joshua, military commanders, and also the judges, the book of Judges. We have multiple different judges who lead Israel. But they haven't had a king before that. And in 1 Samuel, they ask for a king from the prophet Samuel, who has basically been the last judge of Israel. And they ask him for this king and they get King Saul. But King Saul turns out to be someone who disobeys God again and again. And so now we are looking at the second king of Israel and his rise to the throne. We saw in chapter 15 that he was anointed by God's prophet, uh, by Samuel. We saw in chapter 16 that he is one who has the spirit of the Lord clearly upon him. And in chapter 17, last time we looked at it together, we saw that he is someone who is indignant for the name of God. He is not about his own name which is sadly what King Saul is about. He is about the name of God, and we looked at how he seeks God's glory. As he looks at this Philistine, this Goliath, he is about God's glory rather than the glory of himself. And that's what invigorates him to fight this Philistine. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at how David defends God's glory and how he saves Israel at this time. And how is it that he saves Israel? How is he used by God to save Israel? Well, it's not by using Saul's armour. We saw that in the passage that we read. We saw that he says, I cannot go in these, in verse 39, as he puts on the king's armour, the king's helmet. Uh, He straps on his sword. He says, I can't go in these. And we see that it's also that he says, I cannot save by sword or spear. It is not sword or spear that I will use. And we see that in verse 47. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to have it open before you this morning. And look at with me now at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47, which is a verse that I primarily want to focus on this morning, where David is speaking to Goliath and he says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. How does David save Israel? Well, it's not by using Saul's armor. It's not by sword or spear. It is by knowing that it is the Lord's battle that he saves Israel. And he uses that weak weapon that Goliath scorns, which is a sling and a stone. He saves Israel by a simple, small rock. And we see that in verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, not a sword and a spear, but a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. 
Now, what are we to learn from this passage? How is this helpful for us? I mean, it's exciting reading. Uh, it's beautifully written. It's one of those uh, children's stories that we love to include in children's Bibles and to read to our children. But what is the lesson for us? How can we be helped by this this morning? Well, once again, the primary focus of this passage really should be how it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, how it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, because David is really just a shadow of Jesus. Jesus is the reality. He is the truly anointed one. He is the Messiah. Uh, uh, David was anointed, but Jesus, as we saw before previously when we looked at the anointing of David, we saw that he, Jesus, is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the one who possessed God's spirit without limit. David had God's spirit, yes, but Jesus says that he possesses the spirit without limit. And also we know that Jesus is the one who desires God's glory. Yes, David desires God's glory, but Jesus is the one who was always on about God's glory. All that he did was for God's glory. And so we've seen that previously, and here we see again that this passage points us to Jesus as well. How? Well, Jesus went up against a Goliath too. Jesus went up against a Goliath. Jesus went up against Satan himself. And we see that even this uh, account that's given to us here, that it's almost as though Goliath is an embodiment of Satan himself. Uh, it's interesting how he is described. If you look back with me in chapter 17, we didn't read it this morning, but we did previously. Uh, it says uh, that it talks about his armour, and it says in verse 5 about Goliath, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That word there, the word, it's there literally in the Hebrew, the word scale, and it's used for fish scales. Think of a snake. What does a snake have in common with a fish? It has scales. What do we know about Satan? He appears firstly in the Bible as a snake in the garden. Goliath embodies Satan. He points us to the fact that Jesus one day would go up against Satan himself, and Jesus single-handedly took down Satan. He was deserted by his disciples. He was abandoned. They all fled from him as he was arrested. And he defeated Satan by the weakness of his body. It was not with sword or spear that he went against Satan. It was by the weak body that he had, a human, frail human body. It was not by the weapons of the world of sword and spear. He went to the cross and defeated Satan there in weakness. And thus Jesus saved the armies of Israel, like David saved the armies of Israel there so many years ago. So they, they were free to do what? Free to fight the enemy. They were set free. They were at that time oppressed by Goliath. But now that Goliath falls, they can then chase the Philistines. And that is what Jesus has done for us. He has set us free from Satan, from sin, from death, from Satan's demons, from the world, even from our own flesh our sinful nature. He has set us free so that we can fight. We have that freedom to fight. And so what are we to do in response to what Jesus has done? Well, it's to continue to fix our minds on the fact that the battles we face are the Lord's battles. That's why verse 47, I think, is so helpful to us. What does David say there? All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The battles we fight in life, whatever you're troubled by, it is really a battle between God and the God of this world. 
You think it's about you and whatever enemy you're facing. But really, realistically, what the Bible tells us is that the battle that we face is the Lord's battle. And so we need to fix that in our mind and do what as a result? What does that mean we do if we fix in our mind? That's what I want you to do this morning. Think of all the battles that you're facing. They are the Lord's battles. What does that then mean for us? Well, it firstly means we must come to Christ if we are to be saved. If the battle is the Lord's, then we need Jesus Christ to win the battle for us because that's what we see here in this text and that's what we see in the New Testament as well, that it's Jesus who single-handedly wins the battle for us. He is the one who triumphs without sword or spear over every battle that we face. We must come to Christ. We must never run like Israelites in front of David No, we need to do what they did in chapter 17, which is run behind David. David was the anointed one. He was the Messiah that day. Our Messiah is Jesus Christ, and we must run behind him. He is the one who ultimately we look to to win the battle. We are not the Messiahs. Jesus is the Messiah. And if we are not with Christ, then we will be defeated by whatever battle you are facing, whatever enemy you are facing. You will be defeated if you do not have Christ with you. And how do we join Christ's side? How do we have Jesus as our Messiah? Well, it's by repentance and faith, acknowledging your sin and trusting that Jesus died for you so many years ago, that he was getting victory for you personally so many years ago. After that, I can testify that every battle you face may be painful, but there's a sense of victory in every battle, knowing that everything will be okay because your Messiah has single-handedly won the war. But what else do we do? We come to Christ. Secondly, we are to fight. We see that with the Israelites. They did fight. They ran after David and they fought the Philistines. And that's what we're called to do as Christians in this world. This side of glory, we have a battle. We have many battles. We have battles with the world, we have battles with Satan and his demons, we have battles even with our own flesh. And so we must fight. Like the Israelites ran after him, they surged forward with a shout in verse 52, and they pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron, and their dead were strewn along the Shireim road to Gath and Ekron, and then they plundered the enemy's camp. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We know Jesus has won the battle, but we're to chase the enemy, the Philistines that we face. But what do we fight with? What do we fight with? Well, it's not by the world's weapons. That's what we hear in verse 47. David says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The Lord does not save by sword or spear. So what does he save with? Well, it's not by sword or spear, which means that we're not going to use the weapons of this world. Military weapons are the ones that jump to mind. There's a temptation for Christians to think that if they just arm themselves with the weapons of this world, we'll be okay. And keep a shotgun under your bed and you'll all be all right. There's a temptation to do that. But I think in our country, where it's a bit more difficult to have a shotgun under your bed, uh, that we often rely on the weapons of this world, which are more civil weapons. What are those? Well, I can sum them up, generally speaking, in budgets, in buildings and bodies. Three Bs for you. Budgets, buildings and bodies. That is what the world trusts in. When I say bodies, I mean living ones, not dead ones. 
that people focus on, if I have enough people, if I have enough money, and if I have enough buildings, I can conquer anything. How do I know this? Well, you just read the newspaper. What's the newspaper always on about? People. What do we decide if we have some dilemma in, in to, to, to work out what are we going to do as a nation? Well, how many people are for it? How many bodies are for this? What buildings do we have? How much budget do we have to be able to conquer whatever battle it is? They are the weapons of this world, and churches can get fixated on them as well, of buildings, bodies, and budgets, and they think this is how we're going to advance the kingdom of Christ, is if we have enough people, and we have big enough buildings, and if we have a big enough budget, we can do anything. That's not what verse 47 tells us. No, it's not sword or spear that the Lord saves. Why? Because... The battle is a supernatural battle, remember? It's a battle of the God of this world versus the God who created all things. It's a supernatural battle. You don't pick up a sword and a spear in a supernatural battle. They're natural weapons. You don't pick up bodies and budgets and buildings in a supernatural battle. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. So what are we to use as we chase the Philistines behind the Lord Jesus? Well, Paul knew the battle was God's. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. What did he say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We think it's against flesh and blood. When someone ticks you off, you think they're the enemy. But no, Paul says it's not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what he tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. So Paul knows what is said there in verse 47 of 1 Samuel 17, that the battle is the Lord's battle. So what does Paul then recommend we use as we fight the Philistines? Well, he tells us in that passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, we're meant to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? What's this sword of the spirit? It's not a physical sword. It's a spiritual sword. What is it? Paul tells us. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is our weapon. It is which the, the, the weapon by which we fight in the battles that are the Lord's battles. And the rest of Scripture testifies to this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give it account. This is sharper than any double-edged sword. This is our sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. And so that's why we should use this book, is because it is a supernatural weapon from the Holy Spirit for a supernatural battle. Every battle we're facing is a supernatural battle. And so we need a supernatural weapon. And why is this a supernatural weapon? Well, it's from the Holy Spirit, and we see that it goes behind military might. It goes behind bodies and buildings and budgets and then uses, affects those minds behind those, those, those weapons of the world, and then uses those weapons of the world for the advancement of God's kingdom. 
We read in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. This book has divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This book goes behind the bodies, the budgets, the buildings, and affects the minds that control those things. And so it gets inside people's heads and wins the battle that is going on between the God of this world and the God who made all things. So we should use this as our weapon because the Bible tells us to do so and because we see it's a supernatural weapon for a supernatural battle. But why else should we use this as our weapon, this book before us? Because it's Christ's weapon. It's Christ's weapon from the temptations that Jesus had with Satan. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He quoted scripture verses to Satan. And then when he's talking to religious leaders, he's often quoting the Bible to them. He's using it as his sword. And in Revelation, when we see the Lord Jesus being described, what comes out of his mouth? A sword. And it comes out of his mouth. Why is it not in his hand? Because it, his sword is his word. And then we could even say that as he goes to the cross, to that greatest battle of all, he is the word incarnate. It's a difficult thing to try and comprehend what John is saying in John chapter 1, that the word took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus was the word of God incarnate. And that is what defeated Satan at the cross, was the word of God incarnate in the second person of the Trinity there at the cross so why do we use this book? Because it's a supernatural weapon given to us by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus used it as well. And also because we know that it assures salvation. How do we know this book saves? Well, we've witnessed how it's saved with the Lord Jesus. Just like the Israelites saw salvation come through the Messiah so many years ago. Verse 47, it says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. We've seen that it saves. And if you look at church history, if you read some church history, which I encourage you to do, you see again and again that people take up physical weapons against the kingdom of God. Again and again, they, and they're still doing it today. They're still trying to eradicate people with the sword, sometimes literally with a sword, not guns and, and bombs, but with swords. But what happens? The word continues to demolish strongholds. The word continues. People have tried to eradicate Christianity again and again through the centuries, and they're still trying today. But there's still people who believe. Why? Because the word always triumphs. It always triumphs. So what are we to do? What are we to do in our battle? Well, we're to take up this sword. You say, well, how do I do that? It'd be so much easier, Joel, if you could just hand out swords at the door, physical swords be much easier for us. I'm sure some of you would probably enjoy it too because some of us like a good knife, don't we? I had a bit of a fascination when I was a child with knives, uh, with pocket knives, and that was before they brought in laws uh, at, while I was a child about uh, knives. Uh, but I was always fascinated with different pocket knives. I had a bit of a collection of them and people would give them to me. And uh, at the time, they still, uh, at that time, it was illegal to have a flick knife, but I was fascinated with these ideas that I heard of flick knives that you could get. You press a button and the knife flicks out. I'm sure other little boys are still fascinated with knives. But I think adults are still fascinated with knives as well, and particularly those who work in the kitchen. 
In the kitchen, that's where you can have a legal sword, isn't it? That you can play with knives. And there's all kinds of knives in the kitchen, aren't there, that fascinate us. There's different size knives. You can get the long carving knives. You can get the uh, big cleavers that are for hacking raw meat. You've got the different edge knives. So you've got the serrated ones. And then you've got, of course, the, the, the smooth ones. And the, you've even got blunt ones for cutting butter. And then you've got pointed knives. Uh, I was using some of those on New Year's Eve uh, for uh, ones with two points on the end. What are those knives? The cheese knives. You slice a bit of cheese and then you can get the two points and point it nicely into the cheese and carry it over to yourself. Uh, We love these different knives, particularly those who work in kitchens. And even when I was at my uh, in-laws and I was washing up there after the Christmas meal, uh, they had a nice little short cleaver knife. And I said, oh, this is good. Look when you hold it up like this. Uh, this is a nice knife. I like this. Even though I don't work much in the kitchen, I do enjoy looking at knives. And I think a good chef is said to be someone who knows which knife to use on which occasion. When he's cutting bread, he uses a different knife. When he's cutting meat, he uses a different knife and different types of meat, whether it be fish or whether it be steaks. He knows how to use different knives. But a great chef, I believe, knows how to use one knife for many different purposes. He can use one knife, one knife that has a number of different features on it. He can use it for multiple purposes. And that's what we need to be as Christians. We need to be, not be good Christians, we need to be great Christians. We need to be able to use one knife for many different purposes. We don't have multiple books that we go to. We have one book that we use for many different purposes. And that means we need to study the whole of our sword, the whole of this word that is before us. It is a double-edged and pointy sword with serrated parts and smooth parts. It's got everything we could need for every battle we engage in. We need to study the sword from the point to the hilt, which means from Genesis to Revelation. We need to examine every part of it, from the law to the history to the prophecy to the letters. Every part of this book has its use as we go into battle. And so how do we study this book? Well, it's by reading, reading, reading it again and again, and listening to it read to you, hearing sermons on it, reading books about it so that we understand more and more of this sword that God has given us, this elaborate sword, this beautiful sword that God has given us that we can use for so many different purposes. And that's what we need to do next. We study the sword, but we use the sword. We're meant to use it. We don't keep it in a drawer like a knife chest or a kitchen drawer. Or hang it on the wall like some people do with swords. They want to hang it up on the wall. When people do that with the Bible, they they put verses up on the wall. That's all very well to do, but do they use it? Do they use it in battle? That's what we're called to do. How do we use it? Well, we use it in all attacks that come at us. Whether it be doubts about Christ, they need to be attacked. How are they attacked? Well, usually with The Gospels about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we have doubts about Christ, what should you read? You should read the Gospels about Christ or the epistles, the letters that were given to us by the apostles to help us to understand. We shouldn't just simply use logic. I believe logic is a very useful tool, but I believe it's given to us by God and it finds its origin in Scripture ultimately. 
Yes, use reason as you struggle with doubts, but it's the word of God that will resolve all doubts. It is the sword that we should use. When we're tempted to sin, what should we do? We should use the sword to attack the temptations that come upon us, whether it be using law in the Old Testament or the epistles in the New Testament that speak about sin so clearly, or even the Gospels. We shouldn't use pop culture to define what is a temptation and what not a temptation. Instead, we should be relying upon this sword that God has given us. And when we have sadness, when we're attacked by sadness, the doubts lead us to despair. What should we do? We should attack it with this word. What's a particularly good part of your sword? The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is such an encouragement to those who are struggling with sadness. We shouldn't simply attack it with medicine. No, we attack it with this word that God has given us, this multi-purpose sword that is before us. So we use it to attack all battles that the enemy brings upon us, and we use it to attack all enemies. It's not a case of... Look, I'll use the word against Satan and against the world when they attack. And maybe when brothers or sisters in Christ attack me, I'll use the word. But when it comes to my own flesh, I really much use a blunter object. I don't want something so sharp as the word of God. I won't apply it to myself, to my own sinful nature. No, we're supposed to use it for all enemies, all attacks from all enemies. And we're supposed to use it repeatedly as well. Use it again and again. A chef doesn't say, oh, I've stopped using knives. No, (laughs) he may as well quit. He's got to use knives in his work. And that's what we've got to use in our work as we fight our battles, is we've got to keep on using it. How do we use it? Well, we keep on using it again and again. Sometimes a major slice is made, like this single stone that hits Goliath's head and he's out for the count. It's wonderful when that happens. And I've seen it happen with when you're witnessing to someone and you bring up something about the Lord Jesus, you present the gospel, and it just clicks for them. And that's wonderful when it happens. But often it's more like a death by a thousand cuts that's needed as you face the enemy. Slice, 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 slice with the word of God. Particularly I feel that with my own flesh. It needs to be every day. Slice, 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 slice. Death by a thousand cuts. It's like dicing an onion rather than more cutting a slice of bread off. One quick slice and you've got your meal ready? No. In our battles, it's like dicing an onion, chopping it up again and again and again and again and again. And that means you have to use it repeatedly, this sword that God has given us. So we're meant to study our swords. We're meant to use our swords if the battle is the Lord's. And then what should we do? Well, we should give God glory with joy in our hearts. Who did God... Uh, Who did David give glory to for his victory? It was God. Who did Jesus give glory to for his victory? It was God. And who should we give glory to for our salvation? It should be God. Why? Because the battle is his battle. It's all his battle at the end of the day. And the first lethal strike was done by his Messiah, his anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this book that we use to win when we fight the Philistines, it's his book. It's the sword of Joel Radford. No, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is his book. 
And so all victories are his victories that we accomplish using his book. The world laughs at Jesus like Goliath laughed at David. The world laughs at Christians. They think weak, pathetic people. They continue to roll over. You slap them on one cheek and what happens? They turn to you the other. Weak people. They laugh at the printed page. Cheap paper. That's all these people have. A bit of paper with a bit of ink spilt upon it. And they laugh at what it says in our books. But we rejoice and give God glory because we see that salvation comes through Jesus and salvation comes through this book which speaks about the Lord's anointed. We wouldn't know Jesus without this book. It is our most powerful weapon. And so we rejoice and glorify God because we see it continues to advance his kingdom. So as we look to 2021... What's our mindset in our battles? Maybe it's with your boss at work. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's just with other drivers on the road. Every day I go to work, and that's the hardest part of my job, you think in your head, is fighting with those people on the road. Do you recognise that every battle you face is God's battle, even down to the driver on the road? God is teaching you something by those other drivers, or by that family member, or by that boss or work colleague, or by that neighbour, your war is not against flesh and blood. Your war is against the evil one. And it's the Lord's battle that you're in. So what are you to do? Well, is the reason you're not triumphing in your battles is because you do not follow David. You're not running behind David. You think you are David, the Messiah of your life. You're not running after David's son the Lord Jesus Christ. So, of course, you lose battle after battle. When you face those drivers on the road, yes, you feel like you lose every one of them. It's because you're not looking at them in light of Jesus Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. He is the only Messiah. Repent of your sin. Come to Christ now for salvation before you were destroyed with the enemy as an enemy of God. And if you know that your war isn't against flesh and blood, you know that it is the Lord's battle, and you do trust in Christ, are you fighting with him? That's what we're called to do. We're not meant to be like Israelites who go, look at David, he did it well, didn't he? And I'll stay here and watch the Philistines run away, and oh yes, other people can chase them. No, we are in the Lord's battle as well. Yes, Jesus has given that stroke and taken out Satan, but he's still thrashing around and the demons are still there. And, of course, the world still attacks us and our own flesh is there. Are you one who is willing to fight behind Jesus? And what weapon are you using? Are you primarily using budgets, buildings and bodies? I mean, churches can fall prey to this as well. They're important. It's nice to have a building, particularly when it's raining. It's nice to have budgets so you can pay me to prepare something to help you on Sundays and also give you pastoral care through the week. It's nice to have that. It's nice to have bodies to be encouraged by other people being around us. But they're not our primary weapon. They're a ramification of using the primary weapon, which is this. It's like how David went over and did use a sword. What did he use? He used Goliath's sword, chopped off his head. The sword did become important there, at least to demonstrate to the Philistines that your, your guy's out for the count. He used the sword. But his primary weapon was recognising as the Lord's battle. 
and that stone that struck Goliath in the head. And that's our case as well. We use this word in the budgets, the buildings and the bodies. They do take care of themselves somewhat as long as they're looked at in light of this word. Is that what you're doing? Is that this is your real weapon? Is the spirit sword your weapon of choice? And do you show it by studying it? All of it from point to hilt? Or is it to your shame that there are parts of this sword that you've never examined, you've never looked at? And you may be a new Christian, and it takes time to quickly get through it. It takes about three days of continuous reading without any sleep. I haven't done it. I just looked at how long it takes on the, the MP3s of the Bible read aloud. But if you've been a Christian for, let's say, a year... It's about time you probably had read from the point to the hilt of this book and know at least something of the sword from the point to the hilt. And then are you using it? Not just studying it, but using it. Or do you like to hang it on the wall? Or put it on your coffee table, like a sword that's hung on the wall or a sword that's laid out nicely on the coffee table or on the kitchen bench. You have all your knives there in a row, but they're never picked up and used. Are you using this sword? Are you using it on all attacks? Do you know that it has something to say about every battle you face? From your battle of finding the car keys which you can't find in the house. The Bible has something to say about that and the way you're losing the plot about you can't find the car keys and accusing other people of losing them for you. The Bible has something to say about that battle. Right up to the battles that you face with the evil one himself when he's tormenting your mind. Do you use it for all attacks, for all enemies, and use it repeatedly again and again? Are you making sure that enemies die by a thousand cuts as you use this book? This weapon is our greatest weapon. The world sees it simply as cheap paper, and they scorn it. But the weapons of the world, they're useless against this. They're useless against this, against the penetrating word of the Spirit. We know that this sword is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is the greatest weapon known to all mankind. God, thankfully, has enlightened our minds so that we recognise it. So may we love our sword so much that we say with David about the weapons of the world, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them and take them off. May it be that we're so engrossed in this word and use it so much that we just cannot... Think about using the weapons of the world first, that we come to this first. And may we say, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give the enemy into our hands by his anointed one and by his spirit's word. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the one who owns all battles and who has fought the enemy and saved us with your Messiah, your Son. Forgive us for not fighting as we should and for so often relying on the weapons of this world first and foremost instead of your word. Help us to love your sword and use it in all our battles. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is fighting alone, does not know what it is to fight behind the Lord Jesus and his victory, Lord, we pray that you'd grant them repentance now They'd come to him for the salvation that they desperately need and find it in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.